we're excited to share that the following offer has been extended through the end of the week. We hope you become a member today. Tuesday, February 28th marks one year since we launched the DSR Daily Brief. We're showing our thanks by providing you with our best sale price ever on membership. From now through March 4th, visit the dsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DAILYBRIEF to receive 50% off our regular membership price of $50 per year or $5 per month. Members receive access to bonus content, an ad-free listening experience, exclusive blog posts, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, and more. This is a one-time only offer, so act now. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code daily brief to receive 50% off. Thank you for your support. This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. We've got the votes and screw the rest of you. And Dr. Kavita Patel. These might be some of the smaller moments, you know, with all the bombshells didn't catch people's eyes. Hello and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our country as we enter into another election cycle and discuss what our leaders are saying and doing about them or not saying or doing about them. All right, Norm, today we, as usual, have a treasure trove of topics to discuss uh, in planning today. Hope that we can tackle for the broader conversation. Would love to tackle your perspective on what feels like, I will say, an almost hourly assault on democracy. And whether you're a a registered Republican, Democrat, independent, it should be of great concern. So maybe we can dive into some of what is emerging from the South. And I think uh, in an email that Norm sent, uh, he put it better than I could. The Confederacy is winning and we're implementing, you know, as we knew all along, two Americas, but with the kinds of laws that give very little hope to getting to like a unified America that I certainly remember both Ronald Reagan and Barack Obama talking about. And then in our members only section, we will carry that theme of the Confederacy is winning and hope that our members can join us for a discussion of the Walgreens abortion pill, I will call it disaster. And that's not even a word that's appropriate enough, as well as reactions from legislators and governors, including Governor Gavin Newsom from California, was very bold in what he said, which is basically Walgreens stay out of California as this is what you're going to do. So, Norm, I hope you had a good week. I hope you had your I hope you had your Wheaties because we are going to go off to the races with with lots to talk about. Where should we start? Where in the South would you like to begin and uh, take your pick? Media, voting, drag shows. So. What I want to do first, Kavita, is just to step back and look at this more broadly. At the time of the founding, we had a pitched battle between Federalists and Anti-Federalists. The Anti-Federalists wanted an exceptionally weak central government and to give basically all the power to the individual states. They lost. The Constitution created a pretty strong central government. It was a central government that had been basically crafted by Alexander Hamilton and James Madison. And while Thomas Jefferson didn't particularly like it, he wanted an agrarian society with the power, you know, devolving to the noble farmers. 
Uh, but of course, when Jefferson became president, the hallmark of his presidency was the Louisiana Purchase, which was uh, one of the strongest exercises of power that the federal government has done. But the reality is the anti-federalists are winning. They never went away. The conservative movement, which has become a radical movement, is trying to create far more power in states. And that is because they want the South, which tried to keep that power to keep their slavery, to prevail again. And they are prevailing again. And what we're seeing is that the South, which lost again in the Civil War, came back, obviously, in the Reconstruction era. We could talk a lot about history and about how the 1876 election, which was a lot like the 2000 election, made all the difference. It resulted in a compromise that took the federal troops out of the South and, you know, black people moved close to enslavement again. But even after the civil rights movement, now they're back. And what's so distressing about it, I would say, is on two fronts. The first is we're getting these draconian laws and we need to talk about some of these laws that are moving forward, some of which are already enacted. Others have been proposed and very likely will be enacted. Some of them unconstitutional, although with this Supreme Court, which is already a victory for the anti-federalists and for uh, the segregationists, we don't know what they'll do. But the other part of it that I really want to emphasize is that in that victory, the people of the South are the losers. If you look at every indicator of what good governance should mean, which should be low child mortality rates, strong education, a social contract that works for people, they're at the absolute bottom. These Southern states may have won, but boy, what a Pyrrhic victory. But the second thing that I want to just raise, and we can talk about it more, is, and it gets to the Walgreens issue in another way, we have one district court judge in Amarillo, Texas, who is going to try to impose his radical social values on the entire country by banning the use of the anti-abortion pill nationwide. So it's not about states' rights anymore. It's also about we want states' rights, but we want to impose them on all the other states as well. And we're headed towards a confrontation that may be secession before we know it. There is so much to unpack there. And let me actually put that in light of the context that we also had CPAC going on kind of during this time period. And so it was it was interesting. I actually have a very close, very senior Washington Post journalist whom you and I both know very well, personally, who actually said this was one of the first years that he declined going to CPAC because it was just too, like, there wasn't even any productive way to write a narrative or, or to write about what the narrative was, that it was just so disgusting. And normally, like any any online outlet would say, you know, they've got their fact checkers at work, but essentially... I think Linda Q from the New York Times, basically, there was so many politifact fact-checking error, like errors that were just found in the statements that were made. But here's where I thought it intersects with exactly what you're saying, that they keep talking 
various speakers, you know, everything from uh, Trump to Lake to others, talking about that the Department of Justice is calling parents worried about their children's educations because of all the, you know, like sexual education around um, LGBTQ communities, that they're also concerned about the rise in opioid deaths being linked to kind of this dramatic rise in crime. We can normalize using state power to kind of have violence against criminals. And it's just feeding into this like narrative that, to your point, honestly, it, it's martial law. It's what the narrative was around the United States Civil War. And, and it's as if there's like this, OK, you know, crime is on the upswing. Oh, look, who's committing these crimes? It's these minorities that we've given all these rights to and all these like sexual predators. And I mean, it is incredible to the extent of fear mongering to get to your point. And then double down. We talk a lot, you and I, about the uh, media. I mean, I, I don't know if we're going to get a chance to talk about Tucker Carlson. We, we can save that for so many other times um, and hours. But like, then you take what's on, not even Fox News, take any level of like media, they'll amplify that. And then they'll talk about like, you know, the Dominion voting systems. And they'll, I mean, just on and on and on. Nicole Wallace on MSNBC, you know, she keeps, you know, others reference the big lie, but like it gets to the point where I don't think people understand lies, facts to this and, and still not talking like, you know, how many times did I watch the hearings this week and heard nothing about January 6th? So, so here we have like these narratives, right? And, and you're right. Like it's, it's just good to, you know, dividing the country, but you know, do we have like any return to on media or otherwise return to literally like hours of violent footage you know whether or not like people have been held accountable for this it gets to the point where you as somebody who is enjoying like you residents in a pretty blue state i've kind of cocooned myself in many ways with people who vote probably similar to myself around me can't help but think yeah i made the right decision like i got out of the south i did this and so you're right. Who's left to suffer? It's everyone in these regions and states. So let me let me then put to you, I've thought about this and our incredible producer has also asked us to discuss like, so then what? What is it? Is it that liberal states like Maryland or purple states create safe havens for people, tax incentives to come here if you're sick of the fear mongering? What, what are what are some of the solutions if we can't rely on our elected leaders to help us? fix these, these problems. You know, we're facing, I think, some, I wouldn't say quite unprecedented, but extraordinary challenges right now. What do we do knowing that the structural anomalies of our political system mean that the will of a majority can be thwarted over and over again? The Senate is very likely to go Republican in 2024. No matter what happens, just because there are basically only 11 Republican seats up and they're all from pretty firmly red states, you know, the most competitive Republican seat might be in Florida, which has gone from purple to red. And Rick Scott is terrible, but so is Marco Rubio and he got reelected handily. And then there are all these vulnerable Democratic seats. West Virginia, Ohio, 
and Montana among them. So holding the Senate is going to be extremely difficult. You can't rely on that, even if we see a backlash against Republican extremism. And then we get to another reality, which is what if we don't have safe havens anymore because the judges, the radical judges in the uh, country where we have a system where any individual district judge can basically issue nationwide injunctions. What if California isn't safe anymore? What if we get judges who basically ban abortion nationwide, no matter what states want to do? And you haven't got the remedy at the federal government because the system has thwarted that from happening, the Senate especially, making it almost impossible. And, you know, you start to wonder whether we can hold together as a union under those circumstances. And what I see is, and, you know, gets us back in part to the press corps, which seems utterly immune from either understanding or reporting on the grim realities that we're dealing with here with the gravity that's needed. It's still all both sides are treating it as normal. You know, we may head for a national divorce of some sort. And I don't know how all of that plays out. Now, you know, it may be that that's much too grim and that we'll recover from this and that the backlash will be serious and strong enough. And it may be that the Republicans, because of what they're doing in the House and in the states, are going to overreach so much that moderate individuals, the college-educated voters in suburbs and elsewhere, will rebel against it. But the tribal instinct is so strong And I'll raise one other thing that we will have to discuss at a separate point. No Labels, a group which purports to be nonpartisan, but which basically is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Republican Party, has raised $50 or more to put a third-party candidate on the ballot for president in 2024. They are now on the ballot in Arizona, one of the swing states. If they succeed, It would likely elect Trump or another Republican to the presidency, even if that's not what the majority of voters want. And we could be in an even worse place looking forward. It's a possibility strong enough that we have to be very concerned. Yeah, it's it's not just that. In addition to that, I'm smiling because uh, maybe you caught your eye. It was that I forget it was the Times or the Post or. Atlantic. Anyway, Jim Jordan, just something to keep an eye on is that uh, we're also seeing these same leaders and reporters of the the big lie that have now they're in leadership on committees in the House and they are putting in what is a typical kind of scenario where every two years, like the new Congress and the new leadership in the committees put in budget requests for their committees. I was a staff director for Kennedy under the help committee. This was an exercise that we were very familiar with where we would try to identify costs. The committee kind of divides the costs um, and in the House, primarily owned by the party and majority, in this case, the Republicans. But we would make requests for things like field hearings. You know, how many field hearings are we going to do? What are we going to do on the ground to help advance the work of the committee and bring it to the people? Well, this was like a record year, apparently. Jordan put in like a request of at least a quarter million dollars, primarily for field hearings. And just to be clear, like, in previous years, both Republican and Democratic Congresses, that, that amount is usually anywhere from like a fourth to a fifth of that. And it's because, although you and I have joked about how they don't seem to be working as much as they should be working, which I agree with, 
Congress has a pretty packed like schedule when they're in session. They are in session and there's usually like always series of hearings. When they're on recess, it's always a time-honored tradition for the members to use that as a time to press the flesh and get campaign fundraising. And committees usually don't do work during those breaks and periods. Well, this is like a whole new ballgame. And honestly, Norm, that time, like from what you were saying about like the campaign donations to even watching Jordan's quest for, which will get honored. I mean, most of what I thought was shame on, like shame on Democrats for like not, 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 like not even a learning. I was thinking back to 2008 and thinking back to how many times in 09 did I regret that, you know, yeah, we did the Affordable Care Act. That was a very big deal. A BFD, as Joe Biden would say. But I I really regret, Nora, look at all the things we squandered and lost opportunity to act. I can't help but think whether it's abortion or maybe we can talk about Tennessee and Florida and some of the drag laws or maybe DeSantis doing what I think is the inching towards announcing. Could any of this have been averted? I don't know. But if we couldn't learn it in 08, if I couldn't learn, you know, can't learn it in 22, I worry that the narrative is 22 was that, you know, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. There wasn't this red tide that we saw come in, this red wave that came in. That wasn't the lesson. The lesson was, wow, doesn't matter whether the red wave did come in or not. You don't take a pillow to a, like a knife fight. And that's what we've been doing. Your thoughts? You're absolutely right. I, you know, it, it's also take it back and you look at the accidents of history. The Supreme Court has turned out the way that it has because of little things happening and Republicans taking advantage by playing hardball and Democrats have been reluctant to do so. And it's try to play by the rules when the other side doesn't play by the rules. And there'll be some reckoning ahead on this front. But, you know, it's also when you have close margins like we have, we're now seeing in the Senate. Joe Manchin basically just killed several confirmations, including Gigi Sohn for the FCC. The FCC is now basically unable to act on almost anything in a, in a place where we have enormous priorities and responsibilities. And Manchin's blocking that. He is going to block others. And, you know, when you have these margins, the ability to counter the racist moves by the Supreme Court voting rights, uh, Shelby County, Bernovich and others, blocked because you couldn't get enough senators to change the rules on the filibuster. When you have a court that's tilted the way it is, we're in bad shape as a consequence. And a part of it is the challenge that Democrats have. If you've got a huge margin, you can lose some people on the left side of your party, on the right side of your party. When you have these narrow margins, you can't lose anybody. In a lot of ways, in 2009, it was miraculous that we got the Affordable Care Act. Uh, and it was partly just as a consequence, the mastery of Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid at being able to pull their troops together. But it also meant in the process of doing it that we got a diluted. Affordable Care Act and didn't get the things that would have made such a dramatic difference. And we're now in a worse place as a consequence. And I don't see in the foreseeable future things changing enough where you have a Congress 
that could assert itself in ways that are necessary to deal, for example, basically having a national law that codifies Roe v. Wade. You can't do that unless you've got enough Democrats in the Senate to change the filibuster rule and then to hold together to make it happen. And for that, you probably need 55 or 56 Democrats in the Senate. And right now, it would be an enormous triumph if they were able to hold on to 49 or 50. So we're not in a place where we can undo a lot of what's been done. One question ahead, of course, is whether Republicans under the weakest and most feckless leader I have ever seen, Kevin McCarthy, send us over the cliff on the debt ceiling. And then whether the backlash that comes from the turmoil that ensues damages Republicans. And it's not at all clear to me that it will because Fox, whatever happens in this trial, and they're clearly caught dead to rights in the Dominion trial, they continue to lie. Tucker Carlson continuing to show that they are willing to broadcast lies. They're still going to have their voters thinking no matter what happens, we'll blame Biden. So what we can do here, I will say that everybody listening should pay attention to the Wisconsin Supreme Court race that will be resolved in another three weeks. And democracy is on the ballot there. If we cannot win over the Supreme Court of Wisconsin, which has been an entirely radical arm of the Republican Party, which will implement draconian voting rules, which will limit the power of a Democratic governor and give it to gerrymandered state legislature, then we're in even worse shape than the dire things I could say and you've been saying. Yeah, it's uh, no, I'm glad you brought, brought up trying to tie this back to what we've talked about at state levels and and with Manchin, who I'm still kind of waiting for him to either officially join like the Republican Party or to keep his incredible power, which I guess he, he probably will in in this day and age where Senate is hanging on every you know word that he states along with Kristen Cinema. I I can't help but also want to remind people about the other action that happened. It was actually a week ago but we didn't get a chance to talk about it in the previous pod around uh, Bill Lee, the Tennessee Republican governor who signed a law into place restricting, signed a bill that restricts public performances, any performance with topless dancers, go-go dancers, exotic dancers, strippers, male or female impersonators who provide entertainment that appeals to a prurient interest or similar entertainers, which has now been kind of dubbed like the, you know, the drag show law. But what was hypocrisy in the in reporting that has come out since the signing of the law was that he had images of him in high school in the 70s wearing a dress and and basically then had his own spokesperson, the governor's spokesperson, saying that it was a lighthearted school tradition conflated with obscene sexualized entertainment. Lee's spokesperson's words, not mine. And I think that it's just an incredible incredible like it's it's just another reminder to your point about court decisions as well as kind of what's happening in, in many state halls around the country this is actually what's happened for most of not just the 21st century most of the 20th century right this is a very conservative-led states which have legislation that anything from banning women wearing um, skirts you know above their knees all the way to even when like the right to marriage, especially for um, same-sex 
persons kind of became a much more, became like in the 21st century, a much more like state supported like law, the conservative states then kind of put into place, you know, an outlaw on performing, quote, womanless weddings. So things like these are very, I think that uh, conservative organizations that are local, and I'm I'm not calling out every Rotary Club or every Lion Club or every Chamber of Commerce, but I think it's very clear that all things are local, as we know in D.C., and that these are like communities where there's been a systematic, not just for years, but for decades, like threat. I Okay, we're coming into our final minutes on our on our broader conversation before we get into that very important Walgreens, California state assault conversation. So much of a theme to this is purveying and preying on what I would say for for any parent is this fear, like, did something happen out of my control that is going to affect or hurt my child? And that is a singing now somehow that I I do feel like Norm suggest to me, if you will whether it's Tennessee and this drag show law um, or what I just described as like literally a century of positioning themselves against certain suggestive sexual behaviors, as they put it. Now it does seem like it's shifted to, to fear tactics about your children. Am I right? Am I wrong? Does that tell us something about the playbook that's being used for the big lie? What, you know, what are your there, thoughts? Yeah, uh, well, there are a couple of elements here. We've always been reluctant in the past to use the analogies to uh, Germany. But the fact is, the analogies apply now, and it's a little frightening. It was finding scapegoats in populations that could arouse the worst instincts in a population, uh, the fear, and use it and exploit it to assume power and to command power, but it also resulted in deaths, murders, ultimately a genocide. And remember, the Nazis didn't just go after Jews. They went after gypsies. They went after homosexuals. And I think this war on the trans community, this attempt to avoid an appeal to prurient interest, although it appears now that prurient interest might have been Bill Lee, uh, Governor Lee's, among others, and of course, the projection that we see here, but it starts with those communities and then it moves to others. And this is, I don't want to, I mean, I think this is a strategy. We're not just going to use race. We're not just going to go after Asians and blacks. We are going to go after the trans community, the LGBT community. And the way to frame it is the danger to your children the grooming term, and it's going to result in a lot of deaths, a lot of violence, but it's frightening because it doesn't stop there. You move on to other populations. And, you know, I would just uh, as a final note, speaking of Tennessee, and Tennessee is not the worst, and what we see in some of these other states, Mississippi, where Governor Tate Reeves basically steals federal funds from an important program for children to buy $10,000 worth of a children's book that his wife did, basically putting money in her pocket. Where in Mississippi, Brett Favre and the former governor stole a lot of federal money aimed at poor people for their own purposes. In Tennessee, which we can remember was where the Scopes trial occurred, where they tried to basically ban the study of evolution and 
we're seeing that emerge in other states again now. But, you know, where it used to be a Republican Party where you had people like Bill Brock and Bob Corker and before he became a full MAGA person, Lamar Alexander, now it's the party of Lee and Marsha Blackburn and Desjardins and others who have just gone off the deep end of the spectrum. And that's replicated in so many other states. And we're not going back, at least not for a substantial period of time. So brace yourselves, listeners. We've got some rocky roads ahead in the next couple of years, at least. Yeah, I think it's a good word of warning. Thank you for, by the way, you're right. It's not, Tennessee is not the worst. And you and I both knew, I mean, I've worked with back then, you know, Senator Bill Frist, and he was like emblematic of like the Tennessee Republican, right? I mean, what I would give to have those conversations back any in a heartbeat any, any day now. And so you're, you're right. So in closing, let me leave. Let's probably leave like on a at least somewhat of an I, I don't know about optimism in the short term, but I do have optimism that like knowledge and information is power. And just like it is with COVID, just like it is with anything, hopefully we are bringing some level of this knowledge and information too much in the media, including the networks you and I kind of are on and we watch a lot just really just kind of is now all about like the salaciousness of, of the media and the clicks. And what we're hoping to do here in the pod is is actually offer, even with our opinions overlaying, just some of the things that I don't even know. If you're sitting in a suburb in Illinois, do you have no idea that these are going, these are happening in your backyard or that they might be happening in your neighbor's backyard? And I think it's good to bring these conversations up. So with that, I want to thank all our incredible listeners for joining us. And please, please, please rate, review, subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast player, where all of them. And if you can, think about becoming a member where you can join our discussion next. We're going to talk about Walgreens and just the implications of a judge in Texas, as Moore mentioned, literally taking back an authorization for decades of a safe and effective drug. And, and then you'll get the access to these bonus conversations across all of our pod platform. So thank you so much. Words Matter is a production of the DSR Network. I want to thank our incredible producer, Grant Haver, and our executive producer, Chris Cotmore. And our next episode will be in your pod feeds on March 16th. See you then. <laughs>